Hello, and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. For some reason, I almost also said your name. I almost, <laughs> That would have been weird. Uh, this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Lucas, it's Thursday as we record, but this is dropping tomorrow. Uh, just a, a five or six more hours here. Um, I honestly... In all seriousness, I'm a little bit out of it. Um, been kind of a long week um, for those who have kind of been following on on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my wife had surgery, so we've just been sort of you know in recovery since then. So, um, luckily, it, this is a shorter episode to record. Luckily, it, uh, Lucas has prepared uh, the information, <laughs> so I'm just going to sit back and t- try to relax. So. Um, like I said, it's Friday. It means it's Christians of history. So let's jump in with Ignatius. Lucas, why don't you take it away? Gladly. So we're going to talk about St. Ignatius of Antioch. We're kind of continuing this loose series of focusing on very, very early uh, figures in, in uh, or figures, Christians of history. I mean, uh, we've done a few biblical figures. We've done a couple of early uh, post-biblical figures and Ignatius is kind of in between where we've what we've done so far. He is um, a very early post-biblical figure. So he was Bishop of Antioch, a city that is familiar from the Book of Acts uh, and uh, you know the you know pretty significant Christian city both in the Bible and then also throughout the first few centuries of, of history down to today. Um, it's still a uh, Christian, you know, a church is still based there. So uh, he was uh, possibly, you know, according to Eusebius, I think he was the second bishop of Antioch, but he was definitely bishop in Antioch in the early, very early second century um, and possibly even the end of the first century. Um, he was during some persecution he was condemned to be executed by being you know handed over to fight wild beasts in the in the Colosseum, and that took place during the reign of emperor trajan who reigned from 98 to 117 so ignatius died somewhere between 98 and 117 the the years ad 98 and 117 um meaning i think it's a safe bet uh, that he was at least, you know, it's at least easily possible that he was serving as bishop um, in the Church of Antioch during the, the end of the first century. Um, he was certainly alive in the first century. Um, so we have here a really, really early Christian of history, um, end of the very, very, very tail end of the first century into the beginning of the uh, second century. So he was condemned, as I said, during uh, a period of persecution, and he was then brought, chained to Roman soldiers from Antioch all the way to Rome, where he was going to be executed. And they traveled over land. They passed through Asia Minor. So they passed through the cities of Philadelphia and and Smyrna, where they stopped. And at Smyrna, uh, he got to be welcomed and and spend some time uh, with Polycarp, who was the bishop at Smyrna, as well as like uh, delegates kind of came to representatives came to meet with him from the churches of Ephesus, 
Magnesia and Trolls um, while he was at Smyrna. And then they continued their journey towards Rome, and then they stopped again at the city of Troas. Um, and after that, they made a stop at Philippi, and then they kind of continued in that direction and eventually made it to Rome, uh, where he was uh, at some point you know, fed to the wild beasts in the Colosseum, probably. Um, all that we know about Ignatius comes from seven letters or epistles that he wrote on his journey from Antioch to Rome, which is kind of interesting um, to think about what that would be like. <laughs> so while he was at Smyrna, he wrote letters to the churches at Ephesus, Magnesia, Trolls, and Rome. And while he was at Troas, he wrote letters to Philadelphia and Smyrna, as well as one to uh, Polycarp personally, directly. So in, you know, there's not a ton of biographical information outside of what I just shared in terms of he was, you know, early second century, Bishop of Antioch, martyr. That's kind of all we know about him in terms of uh, who he was, when he was, <laughs> and where he was. Um, but we do have these seven letters that he wrote, which is really cool. Um, it's, it's, it's really amazing that we have these letters, I think, uh, both because of the circumstances that they were written in, uh, as well as the, um, the time that they were written being, you know, that first decade or so of the, of the second century, uh, is, is really interesting. Um, and there are like a few big themes that, that, that come up in these letters. Uh, so the biggest one is, uh, his martyrdom. Obviously he's literally on the road to being martyred. So it makes sense that anything he's, you know, writing to his fellow Christians, you know, it, it, I can't imagine any other topic that would come up. <laughs> um, so he talks about his martyrdom a lot and martyrdom in general. Um, but, but he also uses really, uh, intense, we might, you know, to our sort of modern, comfortable Western Christian ears, they might even be a little shocking, kind of the, the tone and the, 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 the way that he's prepared to talk about martyrdom. He's, he's really eager for martyrdom. He's, he's looking, almost like looking forward to it. Um, he wants to be a, a witness by, by being martyred, and, and he wants to kind of, you know, he, he, he wants it to be like his, his, almost like his second birth, um, his, his birth into Christ. He wants to sort of, sort of get to heaven, we could say maybe. Um, and he even urges, uh, the people he's writing to not to try to intercede on his behalf. I think that's in his letter to, to the church at Rome. Um, maybe he, you know, maybe there are some politicians in the church or maybe he's just thinking, you know, don't start a protest or, you know, like petition to, to get my execution stopped. Like he doesn't want them. He wants to them to put that idea out of their heads and to not even try to interfere. Um, and what's kind of interesting about the way that he talks about martyrdom is uh, this, because he's so early and the almost positive way that he views martyrdom is, is a good reflection. I, I feel like this has come up once or twice. I think it's going to come up a little bit more next month, no spoilers. Uh, but the, the early church had this very heavy spirituality of martyrdom, you know, uh, during the period where Christianity was illegal, where it was pretty consistently, you know, here and there, and sometimes empire-wide 
persecuted, you know, to the point of death. Martyrdom became sort of a, a very, very central theme of uh, Christian spirituality and uh, what it meant to be a Christian and sort of how to live out your faith. Um, and we kind of see that in Ignatius's writing and in his the way he talks about martyrdom. Um, the second thing that he talks about a lot is the episcopate. So he was a bishop. And um, not only was he a bishop, but he really, really liked episcopacy. <laughs> he was a really big fan of bishops. Um, bishops, for him, they, they, they protected the unity of the church. That was sort of the biggest thing, um, as well as protecting the faith, uh, the Orthodox faith over and against heresy. Um, Ignatius is sort of, I, I think, the first, but if not the first, one of the first witnesses to the sort of what's, you know, what quickly became the standard um, where there was sort of one bishop in a city over a church who was the the leader. You know, people call this the monopiscopate, one bishop, um, as opposed to what we kind of see in earlier documents like the Didache and like uh, what seems to be going on in the New Testament where there's, there's a little more fluidity around like a plurality of, of, of bishops. There's a, there's a little bit of overlap in the terminology of like bishop and elder, you know, like those, those things aren't quite worked out as, uh, uh, you're not, you're not hammered out as thoroughly as we see later, but Ignatius is, is, is a witness to this idea where he, he, he has in mind this, this, this monopiscopal structure where there's one bishop over the church assisted by priests and, um, deacons and um, the bishop is a really big deal, the, and, and particularly in this structure where we're talking about sort of what we think of today, um, or you know later in in church history when we think of churches that have bishops a, as part of their governance and polity. The structure where there's a bishop who's over a region or a city or, or whatever um, that is really really important for Ignatius specifically um, because. The church submits to the bishop, and, and there, there's the 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 visible, tangible, you know, concrete expression of unity where they know we're united because we are submitting to this bishop. Um, we're not in schism. We're we're together. Um, but also the that extends to the point where he he even says that the pre like he says I don't remember the exact quote, but the presence of the bishop is God's presence. Like where the bishop is, there is Christ. Um, which again is is perhaps, you know, particularly for traditions that don't have bishops, so it might sound a little over the top. It might sound a little, um, you know, uh, what's the word like extravagant? You know, quite like a, uh, a maybe maybe too strong way to speak about it. But we see this um, importance in this very early period. Persecutions going on. The church is 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 you know, one generation out from the apostles, you know, one and a half, maybe, maybe two generations out, um, and really trying to find its footing. And we have the value. And I think that whatever you want to say about episcopacy in general, about, you know, monopiscopy, episcopacy with, with one bishop, you know, that kind of, whatever you want to say about that way of running a church, uh, good or bad or, or indifferent, like, we can, I think we can really easily see the value um, and the importance that the development of this system that Ignatius is, is, is thinking of in the context that he is in um, 
it really did serve to protect the church and to um, provide a way for people who they don't have the Bible, they don't have, you know, religious freedom, like they don't have education. I'm just trying to think of all the things we have that kind of are, are like just givens, you know, um, to, to, to have, or, you know, like, like, like the New Testament talks about submitting to your elders and, and respecting your rulers and paying heed to them. The value of that, I think, is really, not that it's not important for us, but I think it's easy to overlook some of the, the ways that, that, uh, that was valuable in a time period that was so different from our own. Um, and then related to that, the other thing he kind of talks about is heresy. And, and he's, he seems to be concerned with what we might call some form of, of um, a Judaizing heresy, kind of like we read about in, in, uh, uh, in Galatians, um, that, that's kind of denying the divinity of Christ, um, or some form of, of uh, docetic uh, heresy, which which we see both of these recurring time and time again through uh, church history, where um, d- docetism coming from the Greek word that means to seem, um, where where it's just that he just seemed Jesus just seemed to be human. So you've kind of got this these these dual heresies come come up in kind of general vague terms in these letters, where Ignatius is addressing this um, very very strong concern to safeguard the incarnation where Jesus is God and man. Um, and again, this is a time where that wasn't worked out. They, you know, we're still 200 years plus from Nicaea, let alone the later uh, councils that hammer out uh, Christology. So, um, but we see this all the way back in Ignatius, this, this very strong commitment to um, what we would call an orthodox view of the incarnation. Um, so like I said, not a lot of biographical information and that's kind of the, I, you know, what, I guess what I would call, you know, in my, the highlights of, of, of the letters. Um, he's, he's a really, really fascinating figure, um, because he's so far back, you know, his, the details of his life are, are lost to history. Um, but he's also very, very accessible in, in these letters, what he's concerned about, you know, in, in the very moment that he's writing, you know, we're not getting like his, his autobiographical life story, but we're getting him talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ, his friends, people he's meeting about what's happening in his martyrdom. And we're getting an insight into the church at that time. And, and like I said before, he's so early, you know, very beginning of the second century. Um, it's so, not just interesting, but but important and helpful to to study what he says about bishops, heresy, schism, um, the incarnation, all of these things, martyrdom itself, uh, because they're they're really really like we're not going to get better insights into what the church was like and what 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 the church thought and what the church uh, believed. Not that they were, you know, completely different than us, but part of that is the whole point is we can see so many things that we totally get in these letters because, um, and we can know that they go all the way back, you know, 19, over 1900 years from us today, you know, um, which is crazy uh, to, to think about. Um, and especially because um, I say that they're accessible. Um, I, I It's funny, I actually have two different paperback books you know this one was says it was $16 this one says it was 17 I got this one used so 
it was probably less than that, but um, that both of these, these are different books that have all seven of his letters in these collections of early Christian writings. Um, so it's, and one of them is a, is a penguin classic, uh, the early Christian writings. I might've rec- I think I recommended this way back when in our top five, you know, books everyone should read. Um, but this, I would really recommend this. It's, 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 uh, more than just Ignatius's letters, but it has all seven of them and a little introduction and a little map and everything. And it's like, that's, the you know the the first generation or so after the apostles like there the, we have a couple of other things from that time period but like it's so cool you know um, not not a couple we have a few you know we have other things I should say um, but um, Ignatius's letters really are one of them and and I think that's really his value for us today um, is this insight into this very early period of of the church's growth um, and we get to see pastoral, personal, theological reflections and concerns being worked out in these letters. So I would highly recommend uh, reading them. I'm sure you can also find them online in a nice English translation for free in a PDF or a website. Um, highly recommend it. Um, but that that's pretty much Ignatius of, of Antioch. That's, yeah. that's about all there is to say. Dude, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I love, I've, I've really enjoyed, especially the couple of people who are outside of the Bible, um, who are just very early because like you're saying it's this little window this this peek into the birth of this great faith that we still have standing to this day and it, yeah it's just a really cool thing uh, but before we wrap up i just wanted to extend a huge thank you um you and i haven't recorded in a while we've we've been busy yeah. and you know like i said my, my wife's had surgery and it's been recovery so we actually recorded to get ahead a little peek behind the curtain for you um, so like we're now in a new month in April, but, but March was the best month that we've ever had as far as total listenership, as far as downloads go, um, even daily downloads are up like way higher than they've really ever been. And so we just want to say thank you. Um, it, it blows my mind that we had two episodes from March. So who wrote Hebrews and then on the descent of Christ to the dead, both of those episodes have now cracked the top 10. One of them, I think hit the top five today. Um, wow. those are the, those are the only two episodes in 2021 that hit the top 10 and they did it in less than a month. Um, so apparently you guys like those topics or maybe there's just more of you now that we've been doing this longer, whatever it is, we want to say thank you because we, I mean, we would do this if nobody listened. Cause I just, Def- I love talking <laughs> yeah. about theology and I mean, Lucas and I basically did this before, you know, having mics in front of us, but um, it's cool to be able to have this community. I mean, we've had people reach out and be like, hey, man, here's a book recommendation to maybe help yeah. you think through limited atonement. Like, that's super cool. Like, keep doing stuff like that. Um, even just liking and sharing and, and commenting on stuff. Like, we, we just want to say thank you. So that I know it's a little bit longer of an, an exit, but um, thank you for listening to this episode and any episode of the Doxology Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Or you can send us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We always welcome your feedback, any questions that you have. Um, Send us book recommendations, episode ideas, whatever it might be. We'd love to hear.